Welcome back to Words from the Woods, a Trails Rock podcast. Today we celebrate Women's History Month, and we will be joined by Sophie Kotak, fresh off her win at the Trails Rock Last Runner Standing event. Sophie joins us to talk about running and pregnancy today, and what running as a new mom has been like as well. With Sheila expecting our twin boys in just a few short months, I'm excited to really sit back and listen to this one. They chat about all the ups and downs, the expectations, the challenges, what society thinks when they see a pregnant athlete, what races don't do, and what they could do for women to ensure the space is welcoming, and a whole bunch of other exciting, fun, informative topics. Um, the song that brought us in today is titled Sleepless at 4 a.m. I think the ladies will resonate with that. Here we go. All right, we're back. We're live. Awesome. So I am really excited today to be joined by a special guest. So our guest for today is Sophie Kotak. Sophie, um, can you tell us a little bit before we get started on the conversation about running when you're pregnant, running postpartum, before we talk about all of that, can you tell us a little bit about your running background? Sure. Um, I am a late stage runner. I never did organized sports prior to well, college or anything. I never even did that because I was too much of an introvert to be on a team doing anything. So I, That's funny. <laughs> um, I grew up in Colorado um, doing eclectic things with my family, uh, telemark skiing in the back country, going hut to hut, being bribed with M&Ms by my mother. Um, Perfect. And, <laughs> Um, this yeah, is why ultras work out so well for you. Yeah, she also told me that if I stopped complaining um, on our ski into a hut that was a three-mile ski when I was six, she, her friend Karen would teach me how to knit. And so that was enough of incentive for me to <laughs> get hooked on it. Um, and I also took whitewater canoeing lessons up oh. through high school um, when I learned that Whitewater canoeing was not a thing in college in Walla Walla, Washington. <laughs> I got certified as a whitewater kayak instructor and spent my time um, kayaking the rivers in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but then when I moved out here for school and work, I adopted a puppy and she needed a lot of exercise. <laughs> so I tried running and she and I together learned how to do it. And I really fell in love with the community here. That's how I really made friends being new to this area. Um, and I've just been hooked ever since. Very cool. And for a quote unquote late stage runner, you are an incredible athlete. Um, like Eric mentioned in the intro, you just won our race last runner standing this month. So very cool. Congratulations on that. Thanks. Um, so we are going to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour talking a little bit about your experiences, um, running while you were pregnant and now you have a baby. How old? He's six months old now. Six months old. So we're going to talk a little bit about running while pregnant and then we'll take a little break and then we'll talk a little bit more about running postpartum. Right. So um, one of the things that I think is really interesting, and you brought this up also, is that there are not a lot of concrete guidelines, recommendations no. for this. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's in, 
it's the wild west in terms of mm. how do you stay active as an athlete during pregnancy and the reason for that well it's um it's complicated because it's not only cultural mm-hmm. um but also in the medical community there's a lot of tiptoeing around doing rigorous studies around pregnant people and um, infants. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like for instance, we it, there's this incredibly long list of all the things you're not supposed to take medication-wise when you're pregnant, and the reason for that isn't necessarily because it's been proven to be dangerous to take these things, but it's because no one uh, can ethically no, do studies sure. to prove them safe. Right. Right. And so it's a similar thing around. Um, determining what is safe to do activity-wise while pregnant and is that there's just no data out there on it because no professionals want to navigate the ethics around right. those types of studies. Right. You don't want to tell some women to go super hard. Right. And then something horrible happens. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But it's interesting because, um, and we can talk more about this as we continue on in the conversation, but it's so interesting because there's not specific studies, um, but there's so many examples of people who exercise really hard throughout their pregnancies mm-hmm. and they have completely normal, completely healthy pregnancies. Yeah. And we know that exercise during pregnancy has so many positive benefits. Mm -hmm. And so it's so interesting. I mean, I understand why we can't do studies. And also it's like interesting and frustrating that there's not better guidance for women who are either trying to get pregnant or are pregnant. Right. So the cultural baggage behind this is that just a few decades ago, Mm -hmm. the accepted in America, the accepted medical recommendation from physicians was don't get your heart rate above 140. Mm-hmm. That's been proved wrong, a myth. Right. It, you are not depriving your baby of oxygen. Right. Um, <laughs> in, in fact, um, it's been shown that <clears throat> if you stay active with, I think it's like um, thir- an average of 30 minutes a day of moderate intensity exercise, like riding a bike, mm-hmm. it reduces your chance of gestational diabetes by 24%, which is which huge. Which is huge. Right. And it's a big problem among a lot of people who are pregnant. It's one of the most common complications in pregnancy, gestational diabetes. Um, and there's like this, this easy, well, quote unquote, easy, non- um, pharmaceutical way to prevent yeah. it. And we're just not talking it's about lifestyle. it. It's lifestyle. Yeah. Right. It's, it's really um, interesting. And another part of the problem behind that is that um, while this has been shown in studies to be true, it's incredibly healthy, not just to get light exercise like walking, mm-hmm. um, but more intense exercise like biking, running, mm-hmm. getting the heart rate higher than 140 or whatever that is relative to your heart your rate zone. Right. Um, physicians are still not actually recommending this level of exercise. It, it actually um, about only about half of physicians actually recommend that 30 minutes a day, interesting, like four to five hours a week, say, of right. on the bike to their um, patients. Right. And then on top of that, less than a third of pregnant women actually meet those exercise guidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a problem. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I'm thinking about all of our appointments thus far and 
no doctor or nurse has brought it up to me. I know I've asked, what can I do? And basically it's like a vague, whatever you were doing before you got pregnant. Like don't try to add anything new. But then when you read studies online or you read these, um, I don't know what you would call them, anecdotes from people. And it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean It's not evidence-based. Right. Is a rigorous way to say it. Right. It's, it's fear-based is what it is. Yes. Um, we as a culture do not want to take any risks in terms of telling women to push their bodies. Right. Um, and have something bad happen. Right. Even though there's no evidence to support that there's a, there is a statistical danger of that happening. Right. Even if you weren't active before pregnancy. And so as a result, there's this fear that women have around doing anything that they weren't already doing pre-pregnancy. Um, and, and they'll even stop activity altogether Yes, out of that fear. Um, and it's, and- yeah, it's so sad. I know. I mean, we've had a long road to get pregnant and so many times people would tell me like, you can't, why are you running so much? That's the problem. Yeah. If you just stop running and I'm like, I have a doctor and the doctor is completely okay with this. You know, like at one point we were trained, I was training, I think maybe for Virgil. I don't know. I was training for an ultra. And so I was running really long miles and everyone was on my case about it. Like my mom, my mother-in-law, friends, people that I kind of casually knew. <laughs> and I would ask the doctor like every appointment. I'm like, Dr. Hayes, like, but is it really okay? And she's like, yes, it's fine. We're not in the 1960s anymore. She actually told this you to run some miles for her. And that's what I was <laughs> just about to say. There was, so then people were like, well, if she's just saying that because she doesn't know how much you're running. And I was like, well, I guess we technically haven't talked about like the time that I'm putting in. And so the next appointment I was like, I'm running. Is that okay? And she's like, we've talked about this already. It's fine. And I was like, well, like I'm running a lot. And she was like, okay. And I was like, like, you know, I might today go for like a 20 miler. And she's like, okay, run some miles for me when you're done. Um, but it's, yeah. I mean, I think that doctors are and medical staff are almost hesitant. It feels like to even mention anything about it. Um, unless you specifically ask. And even then it's sometimes very vague. Like, yeah. I know, we since had switched doctors, reproductive endocrinologists, and Dr. Mruwe was great, but he was just like, you know, you can do anything, especially if you were already doing it. So that like, that is constantly, I feel like, repeated when I've asked. So it's just interesting to see. Yeah. It puts a burden on you as the pregnant person to make a decision. Make decisions yeah. that, that, and kind of go make an experiment out of your body. Yes. Um, which can be grating to p- people around you. Right. Because now all of a sudden you are a vessel. Yes. And you have precious cargo yeah. for our future population. <laughs> yeah, nobody cared what you did before, but now all of a sudden it's a yes. big deal. Now it's a big deal yeah. to that p- random person in the grocery store. Right. And <laughs> Right. And I think then once you get pregnant, there's this myth that exercising is going to cause a miscarriage. Like you're going to somehow shake your baby loose. Right. And that's literally not a thing that can happen. Um, and I think it just contributes so much to, um, pregnancy loss, like the the trauma behind it, because 
it's already a super traumatic experience. And then if you also have people putting it in your head that like somehow this is your fault, even though we know that that's not true, that miscarriages are very common and they happen mostly because of chromosomal problems. Um, But, you know, we have this myth that still persists that makes pregnant women carry this huge burden that just stinks. It does stink. And it perpetuates this this culture of suppression that's been around for decades where Mm -hmm. we're expected to just sit on the couch with our feet up for and disappear and stay at home. Yes. Um, while we gestate. Yeah. Uh. Well, and I wonder if some of that is also like other people's discomfort with like a woman's changing body. And, um, I don't know, like I think about it too, in terms of breastfeeding in public, like that's been Mm -hmm. such a taboo thing for so long and I know it's getting better, but it still is kind of a taboo thing. And I feel like talking about your pregnancy was like a taboo thing. You know, um, some of the older people that I work with who I have, you know, told that I'm pregnant, um, they're like, oh, no, I because younger people, I think, are just like, well, why haven't you told everybody yet? And I'm like, I don't know. I was just nervous. It's a long story. It's complicated. But the older women that I work with are like, no, we didn't tell anybody. Like, we tried to cover it up and hide it for as long as we possibly could because it was like, I don't know, not. Well, you could face bias in their generation. Yeah. And And you still can, but like even more so. Yeah. Like uh, workplace bias. um, Right. Right. It's yeah, it's. But so this whole concept of like hiding yourself away and like just resting and relaxing. But again, we know that that's dangerous. It's actually dangerous for mom and for baby. Um, And then I think this kind of ties into um, social stigmas around weight also. Yeah. And I, I am very passionate about this part of it too. Yeah. And I really wanted to talk to you about this part. (laughs) Yeah. Um, this was a huge part of my experience, um, mm-hmm. the idea around weight and, and my pregnancy. And not just because I, in general, really like to push back against this mm-hmm. cultural obsession with weight, but I um, struggled with an eating disorder when I was in college. Um, I actually was in an inpatient facility for a summer. Okay. It was... Um, it was a big part of my life and running was part of my healing process from that mm. to really start to tap back into my body and feel strong again. Mm-hmm. And being able to get pregnant was another huge win in like my recovery. Right. Yeah, in my recovery process. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden when I get pregnant and I I learn I, this world opens up to me right and all and there's this very intense fixation on weight gain and that weight curve and meeting mm-hmm. those expectations in this culture. And, and it's, it's the, it's a proxy for your health yes. as you are building your baby. Right. Um, I was actually <clears throat> able to decline weight checks during my pregnancy mm-hmm. um, because I didn't think it was healthy mentally for me, but mm. also I did some research on it. Um, so there are very specific recommendations that are based on on associations between your weight gain and then complications with the outcome of your pregnancy, right? Um, such as going to labor early or having a baby that's too big. Too big, right? Um, right. Um, and but according to a study from the CDC, 
very few women actually meet these recommended this this window of, I was of just weight gain. Say, right. Um, actually, I'm gonna just gonna check the number. Um, it's kind of absurd. I was just gonna say it was like not even close. Um, so we yeah. sent our, sent some statistics <laughs> earlier today and I was like, oh my gosh. Only about a third of women gain the recommended amount of, of weight during pregnancy. And 48% of that one third right. is too much, right? according to those recommendations. Mm -hmm. And 20% um, is too little. Right. Um, and <laughs> so- So it's but, like not even close to, right. it's not even like half of women so are meeting. So one, one conclusion you might come to is mm -hmm. that, oh wow, in America, we are so unhealthy. We just eat junk food right. and we gain like way too much shows weight. The same. We have, there's something wrong with our lifestyle. Right. But if you go into this study and you, you see that this, this, um, this trend, yep. the proportions of women not meeting these guidelines mm -hmm. transcends nationalities. So this is across all cultures, not just first world American. Right. right. And what that says to me is that the There's something wrong with the guidelines, <laughs> yeah. not our bodies. Right, right. Our bodies know what to do right. innately. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to trust that. Yeah. And like for me, I know I'm just one person, but I was, I experienced um, kind of a small pregnant body mm -hmm. um, compared to a lot of other women around me who were also pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was... I didn't do the weight checks, but I was quite under, um, significantly under what, like, would have been the, the recommended amount. Right. But I had an enormous baby. <laughs> <laughs> he was, like, eight and a half pounds, well above oh, median. Wow. Yeah, that's... The midwife that's a big baby. caught him and was like, oh, my God, I didn't know you had this. You were all baby, lady. Yeah. He was very healthy. I had zero complications. It's like, this doesn't... That number... Doesn't a, actually mean anything. It doesn't... It's not your destiny right right it's not your health right um it doesn't tell a full story but then other people that i talk to are um they experience these just being talked down to by their That's obstetricians um and and being scared just scared about Gaining killing their baby yeah <laughs> you know it's this incredible pressure that that is very problematic. Right. Um, and then it, it just makes me question where these guidelines even come from. Right. And we should be questioning things like this because the emotional burden is incredibly heavy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So I didn't realize that you can deny weight checks anywhere, like anytime you go to the doctor. And I don't know, maybe during pregnancy, maybe certain doctors it might would, depend on where you are. I was just going to say certain places, but... I know I recently, when I've gone to the doctor, I'm like, I don't want to know. So I'm just going to turn my back. Yeah. That's um, another really good tactic. Yeah. Like, I don't need to know this information because it's like too stressful. It's too emotional. Um, and especially we went through IVF. So like my weight was all over the place, depending on where in that process we were, because sometimes you're super bloated. Sometimes you're not, <laughs> you know, like everything is, your hormones are so crazy and out of control at that point. Um, but I thought it was so interesting because when we went for our first OB check, um, so we had been seeing a reproductive endocrinologist and they never weighed me, never took my blood pressure. Like, and it was so calm. Like it was a super chill visit every time we went in. Um, and then when we switched to our OB at like nine or 10 weeks, the first time I went in, they took my weight 
And I was like, okay, that makes sense. I guess like they're going to keep monitoring this. But then they were like, well, what was your weight when you first got pregnant? And I'm like, I don't know. And so they're like, well, can you guess? And I'm like, no, because we were doing IVF. So like, it was all over the place, you know, like at one point when we went in for egg retrieval, I was like 20 pounds heavier, I think almost than when I went for a palate removal surgery like a few months later yeah it would be an absurd and that's like, so I'm like a meaningless number then that but like now that's how I feel because I every time they weigh me and I've been watching because I've been like super nervous and cognizant of it because that's what society kind of tells us to do mm-hmm. and every time I'm like but this doesn't mean anything because I don't know where I started yeah. so like what's the point of this <laughs> so it's just an interesting just another interesting part about, I guess, women's health and especially pregnancy care that just doesn't seem to have a lot of evidence yeah. to support using it. Yeah. And I guess maybe like you use that in conjunction with blood pressure and your glucose screen. Yeah, there and are those... correlations between Absolutely. your weight and your actual health um, measures. Right. But I think it's very important to have that full picture. Yeah. Or maybe even rely on more direct measures of your health rather than this very complicated, like removed number. Right. It's like your blood pressure and and um, your blood work is far more telling of your health and where your baby's at than the scale. Right. Right. So let's shift a little bit now and talk about maybe some of the physical changes that make you almost a better runner or maybe more able to be a great runner when you're pregnant because a lot of changes that happen in your body actually kind of support. Yeah. That's interesting, right? It is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so a lot happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact, it, to a lot of people, it feels like a completely different body. (laughs) Um, so, um, I think the biggest change that's relevant to an athletic experience is that your blood volume doubles. Yeah. Which is wild. wild, Absolutely wild. Yeah. Um, and when you have more blood, you can carry more oxygen and you need to because you're, you're carrying it for two. Yeah. Yes. You are giving oxygen to another person. Right. Um, but that I felt that like, I felt this incredible aerobic capacity. Did you, um, and it was kind of exciting. Yeah. Other things that happen are that you, there's of course a big hormonal shift. Right. So you get flooded with um, a hormone called relaxin, mm-hmm. which allows your joints to loosen. So um, everything can grow and stretch. Yep, right. Cause your pelvis is going to need to widen. Um, you need to make space in your body. Um, but it's called relaxin for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> It's a calming drug, as I like to think of it. Um, And so that is in itself quite beneficial. You you get this calming, relaxing drug that really helps your recovery. Um, As your weight goes up and the relaxin looses your joints, Mm -hmm. a lot of people experience um, their shoe sizes go up. Yeah. Did you have that? I didn't actually. No. Um, But I know a lot of people do. It, I was just going to say, it's common enough that they talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's because your feet flatten right. a little bit, um, from the added weight and the loosening joints. Right. Um, I did, I did have to get new shoes cause weirdly my 
feet started falling asleep when I would run. Oh. <laughs> and this only happened while I was pregnant. That's so strange. Um, but huh. yeah, my shoe size did not go up. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so I was um, doing some research before this show and actually um, I found information about Ingrid Christensen. So in 1983, she won the Houston Marathon and she was just five months postpartum. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was like, oh my God, this woman is amazing. Like, how did she win this race? Um, and so that was when they first started to talk about, I think that the that your blood volume increases so much during pregnancy. And so they were theorizing that that's essentially like blood doping. Like basically well, yeah. that pregnancy is the equivalent of blood doping. Um, and so they were trying to figure all of that out. And then when they did more research, they found that your blood volume actually goes back to normal within four to eight weeks of birth. It does. So like that actually had nothing to do with how she ended up winning this marathon. Um, but if she was training and while she had the, the higher um, blood volume. Right. Then she was in theory able to yeah. do more, which there's, I mean, like we mentioned earlier already in this conversation, there's so many examples of women who have trained really hard throughout their pregnancies. I mean, elite women mm -hmm. that have continued to train. Paula Radcliffe is like another one of the, I feel like pioneers kind of. Yeah. Um, but she was for the first five months of her pregnancy, she was doing two a days. So she was running 75 minutes in the morning and then 30 to 45 in the afternoon. And then after five months, she cut back, cut back. <laughs> so she was only doing one hour in the morning and then riding a bike in the afternoon. Um, but she was doing hill repeats. Like she was doing full on workouts her entire pregnancy. Um, yeah. Molly Huddle's another example. Yeah. Of that. Um, she also maintained very high level of activity during most of her pregnancy until she started um, getting so large that, that the movement itself was a little bit limiting. And yeah. so she decreased her volume at that point. But And that's, yeah. um, I think Jen Lacey and I talked about this um, interesting story, but McKenna Myler was 28 years old and she was nine months pregnant and ran a 525 mile on a bet from her husband yeah. who apparently was like, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you can break a seven minute mile <laughs> at nine months pregnant. And she was like, all right, I'll try it. So how her long ago was this? Do you know? I don't know. I'd have to I feel like it was this year. Was it this year? Her so personal best an... was 443. Okay. So there was a, I don't remember her name. Um, but there was a woman who did it this year, but it was her second time. So this is her oh, second geez. baby and she did a five something minute mile, Miles. nine months pregnant. And there's her little girl on the sidelines where, who she did it uh, like two years previously. Yeah. Also. Yeah. But so <laughs> this like, might be the same woman. <laughs> I was just going to say, so it could be the same person. Yeah. I think this was, I think it's the same person. Cause in 2020, she went viral when she ran a mile under six minutes when yeah, she was pregnant that'd be her. and then this, yeah. But so, I mean, there's all of these examples of people who, women who are pregnant and are crushing it. Yeah, I mean, they're embodying that end of one experiment right. that is against their physician's recommendations. Right. And finding that they can still do fine. amazing things and they're yeah. fine. Their babies are healthy. Yeah. And I think from like the stories that I was reading, it sounds like a lot of their doctors were kind of like, well, I guess if you really want to try this, like, we're just going to monitor you more closely. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I think it was Paula Radcliffe was having monthly ultrasounds and then oh, she lot. was doing, see, and I don't, because we're pregnant with twins. And so 
yeah, we're you'll doing, experience more. Yeah, like it's just different. Um, so when I was reading it, I was like, okay, whatever. But then I was like, oh, that's probably not like standard no, care. I had two ultrasounds total. The whole time? Okay. Yeah. And one of them, only one of them was even a full ultrasound. The other one was just to make sure the baby was head down. Growing. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I only saw like a dome of the head and that was right. done. And that's, and I think um, a lot of them, it sounded like we're also training a little bit by heart rate, yeah. but I know you had mentioned like 140 and I think for them it was like 160. And I'm assuming when this woman ran a 525 mile that her heart rate was- She was working hard, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure her heart rate was probably pretty high. But I mean, we know that even if you're not pregnant, running slow to get fast is a thing. Like you yeah. have to do some workouts, but also there's going to be a lot of times that you're running that are- yeah, building an aerobic capacity, basically. Right. And so, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting to me, all of the um, different opinions about running while you are pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty exciting um, that very recently it's being talked about more. Yes. I mean, there's still no studies being done. Right. But people are pushing those boundaries. Yeah. Like with all these um, these names that we're pulling up. and Right. And Books are being written too, like Kara uh, Goucher's new yes. book and Lauren Fleshman yeah. talked about this also. I mm -hmm. mean, Allison Felix. Yeah it's, yeah. it's really exciting that, that we're challenging those old expectations yeah. and, and assumptions about our limits. Right, right. Absolutely. So I think let's take a little break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk more about, um, running postpartum, which you have plenty of experience yeah. with, um, and also talk a little bit about um, things that we can do as race directors, um, as people who are participating in races, just to make the sport more inclusive of women in varying stages of pregnancy and postpartum. So. Sure. And we're back. All right. Welcome back. So we spent the first kind of half of the show talking about running when you're pregnant. And now I want to shift and transition to talk a little bit about running postpartum. So as a new mom, what are kind of the challenges, I guess, to getting back into a consistent running routine? And then maybe what are the things that have gone well or things that have been really beneficial for you? Um. I think the most challenging thing is the same problem with running while pregnant is that there aren't really very many evidence-based recommendations out there. Right. Um, as a new mother, you kind of fall off the face of the medical earth in the <laughs> sense that you get all these weekly checkups when the baby's coming soon. Yeah. As soon as you give birth, it's goodbye until six weeks. Yeah. Right. And then at yeah. six weeks, uh, they're like, you did your job. You did your we job. You, you can anymore. do whatever you want now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and do nothing until six weeks and then you can do whatever you want, you know, yeah. like, which is crazy, which is crazy objectively. Yeah. Um, because your pelvic floor, assuming that it's a vaginal birth, mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah. So if you had a vaginal birth, then, then your pelvic floor went Got through some... a traumatic injury, <laughs> yeah. which requires rehabilitation. Right. right. Um, so, but we don't routinely get rehab routines when we leave with our infant. Right. Um, so it's kind of a, up to us to figure out how to do that and build back into 
the level of activity that we used to enjoy before giving birth. Right. right. Um, so that was all very confusing for me trying to find um, data and like actual information yeah. to help you make decisions. Yeah. Even those recommendations are not well established. Like here in the US, it's well known as like six weeks. That's how long you have to wait before you start doing high impact exercise again. But right. actually, um, more recently, um, especially in the UK, a new recommendation of 12 weeks has been uh, established mm -hmm. and, and sort of embraced, um, kind of recognizing the just how traumatic it is on the body to go through birth. Right. Um, but that being said, I've sort of discovered just through my own experience that there's a lot of variability to I mean, what it's just like anything else. Yeah. Everybody, everyone's body is different. Everyone's right. experience with birth is going to be a little mm -hmm. bit different. So like what works for you might not work for me. Yeah. For the next person. Exactly. So you're going to be ready when you're ready. Mm -hmm. um, and that depends on many things. It depends on um, how your experience was giving birth. Like, right. did you have surgery? How long was it? Did you tear all of that? Right. Um, but it also, um, has to do with what you do during those first weeks building up. Like, do you, do you do pelvic floor exercises? Do you do that gentle rehabilitation to build back strength and remind your muscles what their what job is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and so if you're diligent about that, which I found, cause I was very motivated. I was like, oh, this is you have great. to get back. <laughs> this baby won't stop crying. I need to be able to, to put him in a stroller and not be tired after right. half a block. Right. Um, so I was diligent about those things, doing yeah. kegels and glute bridges and things like that. Um, and I saw a pelvic floor PT regularly. I still do. Okay. Um, and I think that should be common practice. Actually. And I was actually going to bring that up because I think maybe in the UK it is. Um, I think also in the UK, I think they mostly see midwives unless they have um, co pregnancy complications. Mm -hmm. But I think it's like more standard to not see an OB mm -hmm. unless you're having problems. Right. Um, and it's that's so interesting to me because it just makes so much sense. Like, of course you would do PT after you give birth. Because, of course you would. <laughs> like this makes perfect sense. Why would you not do But this? most people don't. No. And I didn't even know it was a yeah. thing to be honest with you until I got pregnant and started Me neither. doing some research. I followed like a couple of accounts on Instagram of PT, like pelvic floor PTs. Yeah. Um, but I had no idea. I didn't, I mean, this is like super naive, I guess, but I had no idea that that was even a specialty. Well, it was all very hush hush. Yeah, because well, we don't want to talk about that. Well, I mean, who else sees pelvic floor PTs? It's right. people who have problems with incontinence right. or um, people going through menopause or right. having issues. It, you know, people who are ashamed yes. and are having problems that people don't want to talk about. Right. That's why we don't, aren't aware of this existence. Right. And, but also, if we talked about it, maybe so many people wouldn't have yeah. problems because they would be like, Oh, there's a solution to this. Like I don't have yes. to pee myself every time I sneeze. Yes. And therefore I could be ready to run in right. less than 12 Quicker, weeks. Right. Yeah. Or, and, yeah. So, or even just feeling better, <clears throat> like feeling more, like, quote unquote, more like yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like getting back to and some semblance of normal. Yeah. And feeling taken care of. Right. Because it can be, um, 
I felt a little abandoned. Yeah. And I've heard that. Um, I listen to a lot of like podcasts now, um, trying to prep myself and wrap my brain around everything that's about to happen. Yeah. And that's, I think, a really common experience for women after they give birth is like, I was so important and everybody checked in on me and wanted to know how I was. And then I have these baby, this baby or these babies and like, nobody cares about me anymore. <laughs> it's like, how are the babies doing? I want to hold the babies. Can I come see them? Yep. And the doctor wants to see the baby, but not yeah. me. <laughs> and it's also wild that yeah. you don't have an appointment for six weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time after going through such a traumatic yeah. experience. Yeah. And in fact, um, statistically, if you're going to have problems mm-hmm. um, postpartum, it's most likely to happen in that first week or two right and that you know that's our desert of healthcare um postpartum yeah so i found that seeing a pelvic floor pt both before and after birth would was really helped with that yeah and it helped me get back to activity in the sense that my return to running was pretty seamless yeah and you feel great i mean you're six months i feel great the first time i got on the trail did you like the first time i was like i'm gonna try to run and i'll just walk if I don't feel good. Yeah. But I felt great. Awesome. I mean, I was quite sore the next day right. in my legs because they hadn't done much in a while. Right. But other than that, I just it felt, felt amazing. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, like I think about all the benefits of running that we know exist, even if you're not pregnant, even if you're not postpartum and your mood is a huge, like that's a huge benefit of running is having yeah. a stable mood. And we know that a lot of women experience postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. And again, we have this non-pharmaceutical tool. tool. Yeah. And we're not talking about it or not talking about it as much. And it's just so mm-hmm. interesting to me because it's like, go outside and move your body. Yeah. Like this yeah. is a simple way. And that's not to say that there are not people that need to be on medications or of do course. you know what I mean? Like, of course. Um, but to just disregard the fact that. Yeah. Well, to build a holistic yes. um, approach That's a better to way handling to this, like it's not just about medication. It's, or... it's if you have, there are lifestyle approaches right. as well as um, more medical, more medical interventions. interventions. Right. Um, and it's a lot cheaper to be yeah. honest. Yeah. <laughs> to, to yeah. have an active lifestyle than to go to a pharmacy. Right. Now, how do people usually react when you tell them that you are running again? And especially when you first started running postpartum, were people generally supportive of that or? Supportive, yes. Yeah. Um, just because of the community that I'm a part of. Right. But largely disbelieving. Like <laughs> you're already running and you're in groups. Like you don't feel like you have to be on your own because you're so slow. Like right. people were very surprised. Right. Um, even people I'm very close to. And, you know, points to a lot of the expectations we have mm-hmm. around about, around postpartum people. Um, and I think people expected me to, to have a narrative around um, getting my body back, mm. which I don't. I don't need that. I don't expect that. And I don't right. see why we should. Right. Um, and just... I think, um, yeah, that was, that was just interesting to eat like with my family or, or friends to, mm-hmm. to be facing the disbelief yeah. that I was enjoying 
being out <laughs> running again, again and yeah. um and even improving back to you know crushing goals it's right. like oh i'm looking forward to this race wow you're looking at races yeah <laughs> no, yeah I mean, which is awesome i mean yeah. it was great to see you on the trail at last runner um and i know you've been helping lead as part of our ambassador program too right yeah like very leading fun. group runs which is really cool um is there what would you say, like, if a race director wanted to know, maybe, like, what are some things that they could do to be more supportive of women as they go through this journey of pregnancy mm. and then postpartum? That's a good question. Um, some organizations are really leading the way. Mm-hmm. Um, some token ones include, like, Trail Sisters mm-hmm. uh, here in the U.S., and there's also And Mother, which does a really great job, especially more in the road running community. Mm-hmm. Um they uh like there's been they've done a lot of work around say getting pregnancy deferrals as yeah. a part like of a state policies right big races like boston and chicago mm-hmm. um because prior to that yeah you pay just... the money you you forfeit the money that you put down and it doesn't you'll have to requalify right. and pay again right uh, if you want to do that and that that perpetuates the the gap between the number of female and male athletes on starting lines. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, So having deferral policies that are supportive of Mm -hmm. life stages like this is really important for race directors. Um, And for larger races, uh, and by larger, I mean like the number of participants. Right. um, I have found I think that if I were to do a large race where there weren't wooded corners yeah. to go into, <laughs> um, I would struggle to to pump the milk that I need to pump too. Um, I'm still breastfeeding at six months. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, it's recommended by um, American College of Gynecologists. I forgot. Um, it's ACOC, recommended, I think, yeah, ACOC, um, right, yeah. Well, it's recommended to exclusively breastfeed for the first six months or more, right? right? And it's tough to do that when you have a life that includes a full time job um, or racing. Um, so it can be really helpful for those large races to set aside spaces for women to be able to nurse or to um, pump the milk that they need to pump, right? Um, and um, there are races that are doing that now, which is really helpful. Some very like longer marathons and such even provide um, tents for women to go into and then um, drop off the milk that they pump and keep it in a little mini fridge oh, there wow. at mm. some of the longer uh, like marathons, road races. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. That is really cool. Um, but it's just... I, I never thought about it until it became relevant to me right. that it's difficult to sit on a toilet in some random stall right. and and try to pump, pump right. or nurse your baby because there's nowhere else that you can do it. Right. Or you're in your car trying to stuff your jacket into the window so, so that no one's staring in at you and embarrassing themselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I think yeah. that's a good point that you don't know until you know. And again, these are like the conversations that maybe make some people uncomfortable. 
But like, right. if we aren't talking about it, then nothing will change. Yeah. And um, I've made that a point to not hide away with this. Right. Like I've gone to a lot of social gatherings and such with my son mm-hmm. and I haven't been shy about breastfeeding in public. Like he can, I don't need to flash anybody. It's fine. But right. like, but also, he but also he's going to eat when he wants to eat and yeah. I'm going to let him and people are going to deal with that however yeah i was just gonna say they'll deal with it however they need to deal with it themselves yeah yeah no it's interesting um i'm from a big family so i grew up with 10 with nine younger siblings i'm the oldest of 10 and so breastfeeding was pretty normal for Mm -hmm. like i mean i saw it my whole life pretty much um and so i didn't realize the taboo around it and then as i got older i was like oh people are like very uncomfortable by this yeah and it's so but like my mom would not cover you know they have like all those nursing covers and everything and whatever like no shame to people who use them however you are comfortable but my mom was like I don't care. I don't need this. I don't think the baby needs it. Mm-hmm. So like if people are uncomfortable by this, oh well, then leave the room. Yeah. Like I'm not going anywhere. But to accommodate people who do want a little more privacy, yes. I think it would be really useful for larger ultras to provide something quite easy to provide. Like for instance, one of those pop-up the pop-up pee tents. tents. Yeah. No, <laughs> like absolutely. that people use for changing in. Absolutely. Like, um, I think that would be quite easy to do. Yeah. And um, stick in the corner of of the finish line and starting line area. Right. um, Just to provide a little space that doesn't cost a lot of money or square footage. Yeah. No, and that's, it's so funny because it's not something that I, or I don't know if you've considered this, Eric, but it's not really something that I had thought about a ton. Yeah. Well, only because we talked about it. You mentioned that these are things that don't exist anywhere. And I was like, well, they're going to exist at our races moving forward. Like, and that's those like, are the changes you so need to make. Sense. Um, it's so incredibly helpful. It is for closing these gaps, these participation yes, gaps absolutely. that people are really trying to fight. Yeah. And I know like you had mentioned the trail sisters and they have, you know, these steps that race directors can take. And one of the things like it's, they're so simple, like equal podium space, mm-hmm. equal prize money for men and women, start line positions, mm-hmm. start right. And then a big one was menstrual products on tables at, mm-hmm. at aid stations. And it was, it was so funny because my first 50 miler, I needed a tampon and did not have a tampon. And there was no one around. I mean, it was like me and a bunch of dudes in the woods and I'm texting Eric and I'm like, I think I'm still like four miles away and it's like bad. Like I need something and I need it now. And he's like, well, I don't, I can't get to you. So what do you want me to do? And I'm like, just have it ready for me at the aid station when I get there. Um, But I'm like, there's gotta be a woman that's going to come by and they're going to have one in their pack and they're going to save my life. And there was no women. Like I never, yeah. And so now I always have tampons in my pack just in case. Um, But after that experience, I was like, oh my God, if Eric hadn't been there, I don't know what I would have done at the, um, at the aid station because a lot of aid stations don't have that stuff. I mean, I think it's starting. Our, our whole house is shaking yeah. right now. There, there's a helicopter above our house. So it's I a, think like, there's happening? a little bit of pausing in some of the conversation, <laughs> but I think it's because there's a helicopter hovering above our house, it seems. They there found it us. Okay, it's they gone. They found us. <laughs> but anyways, um, I think that that's starting to change. But again, I think those kinds of things are changing because women are talking about them and they're like, you know, it'd be really helpful. It's really not that big of a deal is just yeah. to like have a random box of feminine hygiene supplies. Yeah. And I think 
you know, I, I try to stay out of these episodes as much as I can because they're about Women's History Month. But for the guys that are listening to actually listen to these conversations, like the reason that we call it last runner standing because Jen Lacey was like, hey, how come you call it last man standing? And I was like, I don't know. It's just that's what that's we call just, it. Yeah. She goes, have you ever thought about changing it? I said, no. And then we changed it. Like I had not thought about it. It didn't cross my mind. That wasn't my kind of lived experience. But we need to as men listen to these conversations and actively listen, not just sort of sit in the room and, and hear voices. So the, I think that's really important to these conversations. Um, another thing kind of going along with this conversation about policies that I did want to talk about a little bit was um, kind of like sponsored athletes, elite athletes, and the way that things are starting to change or, um, become better, I guess, for them as sponsored athletes. So in 2019, I know we had already mentioned like Kara Goucher and Allison Felix, um, Alyssa Montano. Um, they were all kind of treated poorly by Nike. So they were right. all Nike athletes at the time. Well, in their contracts um, yes. around that time, pregnancy is treated as a major injury. Right. Right. Which means that they're subject to contract um cancellation cancellation or or reduction reduction clauses that's what they're called they could i mean it could be reduced down to zero right if they don't start racing within a certain amount of time right um but so these injury yeah but so these women were like yo this isn't cool and nike had released some commercial about like moms are amazing and they can do anything and allison felix was like yo you have this commercial to like get everybody pumped up and then you're treating us yeah. like this. Um, so Nike did change their policy now. Um, and I think they're, they protect female athletes now for 18 months surrounding their pregnancy, which is, I mean, better That's than good. nothing. They were very late to the game yes. compared yes. to other organizations though. Yeah. I think, and they needed a lot of pushing for yes, many years to get there, to get there. Yeah. But so it's just interesting to see again, like when we talk about it and when publicly people push, for changes to be made. That's kind of like kind of what needs to happen, I guess, for changes to be made. So um, is there anything else that you want to tell us about? Anything else that you think people should be aware of? Any other recommendations you have? I guess maybe some silly things. Yeah, go for um, it. For... Like, hit me with all of the things I need to know. <laughs> um, if you have a friend who's pregnant or you are pregnant and you're out running, uh, uh, don't be shy about how often you're going to have to pee and plan your routes <laughs> yes. around it. Plan your routes around Make pee sure spots. You know where you're going to pee. Roads. I had to quit roads because yep. I my only option was like peeing in somebody's yard. And I wasn't going to do that <laughs> because that's not considered good manners yeah um (laughs) but so be forgiving of your friend who has to pee all the time yeah Um, amen to that happened yesterday yeah (laughs) yeah like we literally drove to a trailhead and we got there and i was like i have to pee again he's like what i'm like i don't know i gotta pee and embrace all the tools that that can enable you to stay out there and get those dopamine hits um like for me i was completely attached to my 
band that I would wear around my belly. Mm, yeah. Um, Cause it would release a lot of the pressure on my bladder. It just make me feel hugged like a, an egg yolk or something. <laughs> um, it's um, so yeah. At, like, Don't be shy about, about making space for everything that needs to happen to keep you active and sane because it's a huge rite of passage mm-hmm. um, for any person who goes through this process, um, no matter the outcome, and um, and making making sure you have what you need to feel like you is so important. Yeah, right? even as you're changing. Like, mm-hmm. and for me, running is it's just so central to my lifestyle and. Um, right and my hormonal balance Mm -hmm. your like whole identity i feel like yeah like for a lot of runners that becomes such an important part of like you're saying who you are like don't lose yourself yeah um so screw the haters and (laughs) (laughs) and get out there and get out there keep doing and and like of course that's going to change it's going to look different depending on where you are in the process and just because you're walking 80 percent of the time doesn't mean you're not a runner anymore right absolutely Um, yeah keep it and and be proud yeah so yeah absolutely well thank you so much for being here thanks for sharing your thoughts and um we are going to leave it there i think yeah i think it's a good spot to leave it i'm really glad that we were able to have this conversation it's it's uh, a lot of this process for me has been a learning experience so when i listen back to this i'm sure i'll be able to even continue that process and i hope a lot of people sort of listen to these episodes with some open ears. Um, We have one more week of Women's History Month because the way that March played out gives us five episodes instead of four, which is awesome. So next week, um, Amy Fracone is going to join us. Um, She is a coach for Monroe Milers. She has two sons and a husband who participate in all of the races. So she'll be talking to us a little bit about what's that perspective like watching people start as elementary school students like her children did and and work all the way through running ultras 50 milers 100 k's and being the crew side of things and what that looks like feels like sounds like and how important that is to running as well so um, that's going to happen next week Um, until then this weekend if you're listening uh, the week this goes live we have our birthday run this weekend in Menden ponds park and then registration for all of our events is open. Only one race is currently sold out. That's many on the Jenny, but all of our other races have some spots still available. So head over to trailsrock.org and uh, check out what we've got going on. Until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Bye. For, listening. Thanks for listening. Adios. Sounds